So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. When, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who is the eternal spirit, offer himself unblemished to God? Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant for those who are called may those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance so that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant in the case of a will it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when someone has died it will never take effect while the one who is made is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But... He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, just uh, if uh, you've got children or young people um, and they don't have a question sheet, um, then do get one of them, put your hand up or, or go to the back and um, get one. Um, uh, hopefully older children will be able to fill those in. Younger children might need uh, a bit of help, so um, uh, do, do help them. Feel free to um, be talking to them as we go through uh, and, and helping them. Uh, to fill that in.
Um, now, kids, um, somebody tell me what we have just celebrated. Christmas. Christmas. Uh, and what did we remember at Christmas? Joshua. Jesus being born. That's right. Um, that Jesus came into this world to live amongst us. Uh, we've seen what a joyous thing that is, haven't we? as God kept his promise to send Jesus uh, into this world. Um, however, uh, where is he now? Uh, we can't see him, can we? Um, because he's not in this world anymore. Um, he was born in this world. He lived in this world. But he's not here now. I wonder, have you ever wished that Jesus was still here on the earth? Um, have you ever thought, if only I could see Jesus in the flesh, then I wouldn't have to doubt. Uh, instead, I could have great assurance that God really did keep his promises and that I can know him uh, through Jesus. Well, our verse this morning is going to tell us and show us that it is actually for our good that he is not still here on earth. And it will show us that we wouldn't want him to be anywhere else other than where he is right now. It is precisely because he is not here on earth, but is with the Father in heaven, that we can have great assurance that we have access to God and are able to enter into his presence. Um, if you take away one thing from this message today, uh, let it be this, and if you are filling in a sheet then this is uh, your first blanks on your sheets, so take note. It is good that Jesus is not still here on earth, but instead is with God in heaven. It is good that Jesus is not still here on earth, but instead is with God in heaven. And hopefully by the end, uh, you'll be able to tell me why it is good. Um, if you are filling in a sheet, I forgot to mention at the beginning, you may notice on the, on the back at the very bottom it says, come and find me afterwards to show me your sheet uh, for a sweet. If you need a little incentive to fill in the sheet, come and find me afterwards, show me that you, you're, you're filled in sheet uh, and you will get uh, a sweet. We're looking at Hebrews 9.24 today, just um, the one verse uh, we looked at the wider passage of this uh, last year. Andrew helpfully preached um, that passage um, uh, to us. Uh, and now we'll be zooming in on the truth of this one verse. This is going to be our verse of the year. It's on the bookmark that hopefully you got um, when you came in. And um, Before we get into our verse, though, um, let me paint a picture for you of what had to be done to access God's presence before Jesus came. And this gets quite complicated, so bear with me. Um, inside the Jewish temple, any moment. Go on, keep asking you. Oh, gone too far. Go, where are the pictures? Go to that one for me. Um, inside the Jewish temple, um, you'll see, hopefully, oh, here we go. There's my screen is being very slow, that's why. Um, top right picture up there, there's um, what the temple um, possibly looked like. Um, inside the Jewish temple, there were different levels of how close you could get to God. Um, that's what the diagram uh, on the left is showing. 
Um, The two closest levels were the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant lived, which symbolized God's presence here on earth. Um, Separating the holy place and the most holy place was a huge, uh, thick curtain. And once a year, the high priest could go through that curtain into the most holy place. That's um, the picture on the bottom right, uh, an artist's impression of what um, that might have looked like. Um, He could only go through on this one day a year, the Day of Atonement, and nobody else could go through. This was as close as anyone could get to being in God's presence. Um, Now have a listen to some of what needed to happen in order for the high priest to be allowed to go through into God's presence to atone or make amends for the people's sins. Um, Here God is telling Moses what Aaron, the first high priest, had to do. Um, Now we have our very own Aaron here. Uh, And so um, uh, we also have some props. And so Aaron... Um, Where are you? Oh, there you are. I couldn't see you at all. Um, (laughs) Aaron, come on up. And Joshua and Reuben are going to come up as well. And as I read through this passage, um, they are going to help Aaron to get ready. And we'll see uh, the different things that had to happen um, in order for Aaron, as the high priest, to be allowed um, to go through the curtain into God's um, presence. Um, If you have a sheet, um, see if you can write down just six of the things that Aaron would have had to do. Okay. This is from Leviticus chapter 16. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Um, This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Uh, He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. (laughs) (laughs) It says, oh, hello, beautiful. Chosen, Chosen, yeah. (laughs) Turban. Yeah. Um, these are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water. I think we forgot to get the water, didn't we? Oh, no. It's not even a glass. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry. Water. Bathe. <laughs> water. Uh, from the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. We're running out of animals at this point. Uh, Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. That sacrificed, yeah. Uh, He is to cast lots for the two goats. Some sticks in there. (laughs) No, no, cast lots. (laughs) Put them level, put the top level. Hold them. 
Uh, One lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. Uh, But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. (laughs) Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. (laughs) He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle on it, sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for this sin offering for, his, for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Did you get all of that? (laughs) Uh, How do you think Aaron did? (laughs) Do you think he would have been allowed to go through the curtain at this point? (laughs) I'm not... It's a lot, isn't it? And that wasn't the end of Aaron's day. It's okay, it's the end of your day. You can. <laughs> but that wouldn't have been the end of his day. Um, this was just some of what needed to be done so that the sins of all the people could be atoned for. Uh, thank you very much, guys. And everything had to be done just right. Not like that. (laughs) Just right. So that the high priest could be accepted into God's presence. So that he was then able to atone for the people's sins. And this was because it was such an awesome thing to go into God's presence. Nothing dirty or sinful could go near him. Everything had to be done just right so that Aaron, the high priest, was clean and so that he was then able to go into God's presence to atone for the sins of the people. And just imagine for a moment that you are an Israelite and you are outside watching the preparations take place for this to happen. You would know what needs to happen. Um, You watch him bathe, uh, put on the special garments. You see the bull and the goats there, ready. Uh, You know that the high priest is going in for you. You know the danger he's going through. But then imagine the joy you would have felt as you saw him come out and you saw that goat being sent away into the wilderness as a sign that your sin was being taken far, far away. Then imagine the disappointment that night after you've sinned yet again and you know it will all have to happen again in a year's time. 
This is what was needed for anyone to come near to God. And it was so difficult, and it didn't last. You didn't have free, unhindered access to God. And then, after this went on for hundreds and hundreds of years, a 33-year-old Jewish man died on a cross. That curtain that was blocking people from the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. As Jesus hung on the cross, as his blood was poured out, God accepted his blood. He accepted his sacrifice and announced that no other sacrifice is needed. He ripped that curtain up. Universal access to God has been achieved. It doesn't need to be repeated, and we don't now need a high priest to go through all of these rituals. Jesus has done it. Hallelujah. But where is he now? Did he go behind the curtain? Is that why it tore? Why can't we see him anymore? He came back to life, didn't he? Couldn't he have stayed to convince people to trust him? His job was finished, right? He said that himself. Surely he'd have been more use if he stayed here on earth. Well, we're going to see this morning that the fact that we can't see him does not mean that he doesn't care, but he is actually working for us now. It is good that Jesus is not here on earth anymore. We're going to see that an appearance in heaven achieves for us access to God. So firstly, we'll see an appearance in heaven. An appearance in heaven. Let me read our verse again. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Where has Christ gone? Well, our verse says that he didn't go into the most holy place. And that was only a copy, a model of something supremely greater. A model of heaven itself. Um, Has anyone here made a model of anything over Christmas? Maybe some Lego or some... I saw a hand back there. Seth, what have you made a model of? Too many to choose from. Did you get... Go on. Romans 8. Roman things, sorry. I thought, I thought you made a model of Romans 8. That would have been impressive. Um, uh, Roman things. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, were they real Roman things, Seth? No, they were a model. They showed you, um, what, um, they showed you what they're like, but they weren't the real uh, thing. You see, God didn't live in the most holy place. You can't contain God in a room. That room was a man-made symbol, a model to show us something about the real thing. Because it was a model of something true. Which means it did mean something. The reason they couldn't just waltz inside to the most holy place was because it was representing something supremely great. It showed that God really was present with them, and these were the steps that had to be gone through in order to achieve access to him. 
It showed that he cannot be around sin. And where there is sin, blood is needed to pay for that sin. Verse 22 tells us that, that blood is needed to pay for sin. But the problem was, the blood of the goats and calves didn't last. Everything that went on in the holy place was only temporary. It taught what needed to be done, but it was only a model. The most holy place was a wonderful representation of something that was real. But Jesus didn't go there. He went into the real thing, into heaven itself. And we see in our verse that this means he went into the very presence of God, um, literally to appear to the face of God. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven before the face of God. That is where he still is now. He entered there when he ascended, and he is still visible there now. And he is there because his earthly mission was successful. He didn't sin. He lived a perfect life, and that meant that his sacrifice was accepted by God. And as verse 25 says, it didn't need to keep being repeated. You see, if Jesus had sinned, he couldn't have gone back to heaven. Not only would he not have saved us, but he would have condemned himself. But he didn't. He didn't sin. He lived a perfect life, and that is how he gained access into heaven itself, where he continues to be seated now at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus now? Um, Kids, shout out the answer to me. Where is Jesus now? In heaven. An appearance in heaven. We've seen that Jesus appeared in heaven, and now we'll see what that achieves for us. But why is that good? An appearance in heaven achieves for us access to God. An appearance in heaven achieves for us access to God. And why did he go there? Was Jesus' mission complete, so he went home for some rest and relaxation, for some R&R? I think that's what I used to think, even if I wouldn't have put it in those terms. Um, But I was so encouraged when preparing this to bask in this truth, that no, that is not why Jesus went to heaven. You see, Jesus didn't go for himself. He didn't run back to heaven saying, I am so glad I've managed to get off the earth. I'm so glad that's over with like a soldier who serves wholeheartedly while on tour, but as soon as the mission is complete and she gets to go home, she jumps on that plane and rightly heaves a huge sigh of relief, knowing that it is job well done, and now she can go home to her family, to a proper bed, with proper food, in peace. That isn't why Jesus went back. You see, his job wasn't complete. It still isn't. He still has work to do. No, Jesus didn't go for himself. Instead, have a look at what it says in verse 24. The writer of Hebrews says to his fellow Christians that he went for us on our behalf. The fact that we can't see him here on earth anymore is because he is performing his role as our high priest. 
And to do that, he has to be in the presence of the Father. Just like the high priest used to go behind the curtain once a year on behalf of the people to atone for their sins, so Jesus is not behind the curtain, but in heaven itself for us. He's there for us on our behalf. Isn't that mind-blowing? At the second half of verse 26, where have we gone to? Thank you. Um, It says that he appeared on earth once for all to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that's why his blood had to be poured out. His blood wasn't needed to gain access for himself. Remember, blood is needed where there is sin. And Jesus didn't sin. He could have gone back to heaven quite easily without dying but he poured out his blood so that he could gain access on our behalf, so that our sin could be put away with. That's why he sacrificed himself, so that having sacrificed himself, he could appear in heaven for us. He appeared on earth at that first Christmas over 2,000 years ago to become a sacrifice so that he could appear in heaven For us. But notice also the other word here. He went for us. For our benefit. Um, He did not go against us. He did not go to the Father and say, I've seen just how bad they are and we should not let them in. No. He's there for us. He's there reminding the Father that he died for us. He's sitting next to the father, saying, you see, Pam, well, I died for her. You can let her in. And you see, Ian, well, I died for him too. And you see, Lydia, well, I died for her. I've made her right with you. She can come in. He's doing that constantly over and over and over and over again. If you are a Christian, then he is doing that for you right now. And not only that, but he's also rebuffing any accusations that Satan tries to throw against you. When Satan tries to accuse, Jesus just knocks it away. When Satan says to the Father, oh no, you can't let them in. Didn't you see when Jesus just knocks it away and says, no, that is false evidence, Satan. It has been dealt with. He's like the lawyer who works tirelessly to prove your innocence. Or like the boss who you know has your back. That even when you mess up, you know he will stand up for you. Think of someone you have known who is for you. Think how that makes you feel. Jesus is for you, Christian. He's for you. And it's because he's doing this now that he can save you. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, 
because he always lives to intercede for them. Um, intercede means to speak on someone's behalf. We saw that earlier, didn't we? As Nick took the children to their parents so that they could vouch for them, speak on their behalf. Um, and especially uh, when someone is unable to speak for themselves. Um, Jesus can save you completely because he in- lives to intercede for you, uh, to speak for you in the ways that we've just seen. And that is not to downplay his death in any way, but his interceding applies his sacrificial death. They go together. We need both. We needed him to become a once-for-all sacrifice, to pour out his blood. But we also need him to be in heaven for us. You see, all that Jesus is doing now is for you. And it is because of this, because he is interceding for you, that he has achieved unhindered access to God himself. He is before God's face for us, so that by his being there, we can be there too. As his people, we can draw near to God, coming before his face, no matter how much we've sinned, and he won't turn us away. Not even Moses had that. Um, Confession time, I've often been jealous of Moses. Moses got to talk one-on-one with God. That must have been pretty cool, right? Um, He talked uh, as um, you or I would talk with a friend. Um, Just listen to these verses from Exodus 34. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Um, His face became so radiant and bright after speaking to God that he had to cover it up. Um, It was too much for people to look at all the time. They were scared. Just imagine that. Imagine what this was like for Moses, being able to talk with God in this way. Imagine the privilege that he had. But Moses couldn't see God's face. In the chapter before, Moses had asked to see God's glory, and God obliged and said he would pass before him, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And so God covered Moses up until after he had passed, and then uncovered him so he could see his back. With all the privileges that Moses had, he couldn't see God's face. And also, he didn't have access into heaven itself, but just into a tent, a copy of the real thing. 
Now, this is what blew me away when preparing this. Our verse says that Jesus now appears before the face of God for us. He has achieved access to God's face for us. We have greater access to God than Moses did. I'll be honest, I just don't have the words. I can't imagine being able to talk to God like Moses did, and yet I can. I can. And it's an access that can't be denied. We can't get turned away from him because Jesus is there interceding for us, saying, no, let them in. We have free, unhindered access into the very presence of God. And that is all through Jesus. This applies to the final judgment day. We will have nothing to fear if we are in Jesus. None of his people will have to worry about whether God will let them in or not. It's like you have a free VIP pass, no questions asked. But it also applies now. We can come before God now. When you pray, you get straight through to God himself. Um, Who can tell me where this is? White House. Where specifically? The Oval Office. The Oval Office in the White House. That is where the President of the United States of America sits. Um, Imagine having the direct telephone number uh, for the Oval Office in the White House. Um, Not to the switchboard, not to his assistant, but straight to that very desk where the President sits. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. Our access is far greater than access to the President of the United States of America. Our access is to the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of all things, the sustainer of life. The one who flung stars into space. The one who set the earth spinning and sent it off to orbit the sun. The one who commands rain and it rains. The one who controls the seas. The one who breathes life into every living thing. The one who feeds the birds of the air. The one who clothes the flowers in such beauty and splendor. Our access is to the king of the universe. That is who we have access to. So at the start of this new year, let me ask you, do you pray like that? Do you pray knowing that this is who you are speaking to? You're not speaking to an answer phone where your message might get listened to at some point if he gets round to it. When you pray, you are speaking directly to God himself. It's as if you're there in the throne room of heaven before God's face speaking to him. And you have his full attention. And that is all because Jesus is there in his presence for you.
So when you pray, do you pray like Jamie, who knows that he should pray, he'll feel guilty if he doesn't, but he's distracted. Um, His phone carries more of his attention, Um, his football team are playing, and well, he must keep up with the score. He mentions a few people from church to God, now he can tell them that he's been praying for them. And then he gets cut off because, well, there's been a goal and he thinks that's enough for the day. It satisfied his conscience for another day. Or do you pray like Hannah, who knows who she is bowing before, and she knows that he is listening. And so she puts away all distractions, and she focuses her heart on him. She pours herself out, knowing that she is talking to the God of the universe. Knowing that Jesus is there interceding for her. Knowing that even when words fail her, the Spirit will speak for her. At that moment in time, there is nowhere else that she would rather be. Don't do yourself out of one of the greatest privileges that there is. Recognize who you're coming before. Know that he is listening intently. And enjoy getting to sit in his presence through Jesus. Knowing that Jesus has achieved access to God for us means that when we pray, we get straight through to God. Don't you see how wonderful this is? Don't you see that there is nowhere better that Jesus could be? He finished his work on earth. No more sacrifices are needed. But his work in heaven keeps on going. We need him there, and that is where he is, and that is where he will remain until, verse 28, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. When Jesus returns, he will bring salvation for us, and he will take us fully into God's presence to live with him forever. You see, it is precisely because Jesus is in heaven that we can have access, uh, that we can have such great assurance that we have access into God's presence. There is no need to doubt. Because Jesus is there, we have access there now, and we will be there physically in the future. So take heart, Christian, that Jesus is working for you. And one day, he will take you home. If you're not a Christian, then he is not currently in heaven for you, but he can be. I hope you see that all I've been saying could be true for you. He can intercede for you. It is only because of his sacrifice and his work as a priest now that can achieve access into God's presence for you. So won't you trust in Jesus' sacrifice and let him work for you now, bringing you into God's presence. And appearing